Vajra Tramandasya Jina Jina Salakaya Chakshur Melitanyena Tismaya Shri Guru Veda Maha Panchakapatu Bhishya Kripasindu Bhivacha Patita Nam Pabhani Bhyo Vaishnavi Jinamona Maha Good evening. We're going to start a series of lectures this evening in the Satsandharvas of Srila Jiva Goswami. I want to share with you first, as a way of introduction, a verse from a newly released <coughs> book on the Tattvatsandharva by Satyanarayan Das, who was a student of Jiva Goswami and uh, dedicated the majority of his life to studying his his presentation and making it available in English. I'll read the English. One who has not undergone comprehensive study of Satsandarbhas must struggle to assimilate the message of Srimad Bhagavatam. One who has studied Satsandarbha, however, will have no misgivings about the essential meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam. So Srimad Bhagavatam is the center of the Gaudiya Vaishnava universe when it comes to the essence of what is of any significance in understanding spiritual life. Tattva's Sandarva uh, is an introduction to the Satsandarvas, which are have a total of six, uh, dealing with the three primary subject matters of Sambandhavide and Prayojan the Tattva, the Bhagavat, the Paramatma, and the Krishna Sandarbha all deal with Sambandha, the nature of the inner relationships. The Bhakti Sandarbha deals with Abhideya, the practice which is utilized to transport us from the material realm to the spiritual realm of activity. And then the Preeti Sandarva is about the prayojan, the goal of practice. Such an Orion Das's Tattva Sandarva, he says, Vaishnav epistemology and ontology. So epistemology. Epistemology is the the nature of knowledge, the nature of knowing what is the means by which one knows. Ontology <clears throat> refers to the nature of being. So the book is about the nature of knowledge in relationship to the nature of being. What is the nature of knowledge when we want knowledge to relate to our being? This is the one thing that we will, we will find in Jiva Goswami's presentation is as the Gaudiyas look at him, and now the world is beginning to recognize him, he is one of the greatest logicians of all time. His understanding of knowledge and being and his presentation of that is so penetrating that it, it cuts through all cultural and societal boundaries. Which it should, because that is the nature of his masters, as he brings out in his opening prayers, 
Mangalacharna, Srila uh, Rupa and Sanatan are his masters. And his presentation uh, and his logical analysis are there for spiritual seekers. So there is some qualification in, in and he brings he makes that apparent also in the very beginning of the book. This book is for for those for spiritual seekers. Now we're going to be in studying Tattva Sandarbha, which is his the first of the six Satsandarbhas. Um, we'll be referring to both uh, Swami Triparari and uh, Sachin Das's books, and they're different in the respect that Swami Triparari's presentation is such that he's making the book available and he's, he's seeking out a broader audience than even Jiva Goswami intended. And in doing so, he's trying to praise Jiva Goswami. If you think you understand knowledge, if you think you understand theology, if you think you understand the nature of being, you should acquaint yourself with the Sandarbhas of Jiva. So that's Swami's presentation is he's reaching out to to Westerners in particular and, and the the philosophers of the West and saying, you can't really call yourself a serious a serious philosopher when it comes to the nature of being, of the self, of consciousness, unless you've studied Jiva Goswami. Let me give you a little introduction. So he's given us his Tattva Sandarbha presenting what's the essence of the book, because in the Tattva Sandarbha, we can see through to the remainder of the Sandarbhas. Now, Satya Narayan, he is giving us all the Sandarbhas in English. What is this nature of knowledge? What is the nature of knowledge? What is the necessity of knowledge? What is the goal of knowledge? And why should we look and use whatever is available, what facilities are available to us to gain knowledge about the self? Of all things that are here, why should we care about the self? We're here, we're living, breathing, eating. Why, why should we look for anything more meaningful to life than the life that we're living today? That's the beginning of Tattva Sandarbha. What is the essence of our existence? You have to make a determination of what in life is, is attractive to you. What are you looking for? And Jiva Goswami is going to make a very strong argument that this, let me tell you what you should be looking for. And he opens the whole Satsandarbha with a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the essence of what we should all be looking for. It's interesting. Again, we come to the fact that these acharyas basically unpack and make and present to us by fluffing out the knowledge 
that will capture our intellect. So, the Tattvasandarbha starts out with a verse from the 11th canto. Anyone want to venture? I guess. The book is broken up into sections. The sections are referred to as Anuchedas. It's a section which is, explains um, he explains in the sections philosophical points. He brings out philosophical points. In the beginning this Tattvasandarva he deals primarily with He deals primarily with where should we look for knowledge and why should we look for knowledge about being. Where should we look? How should we look? And what should we base our inquiry on? Where, where, where should we give credit to not? To, to the source of knowledge. And he deals with, with all that in, in detail. But the start of the book begins with this verse. Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishna Sangopangastra Parsadam Yajnai Sankirtana Prayar Yajantihi Sumedasa That's the beginning of his Satsandarva the beginning of his Tatmas and Darba. In there we have the essence of what this, what the goal, what the knowledge of being should be, what the practice is, and what the goal is. All in one verse. You said 11th canto, what? 11.5.32 In the age of Kali, the Supreme Absolute, Bhagavan, appears within this world with a non-black compaction. Krishna Varnam Twisa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parsadam And constantly sings or describes the names of Krishna. The means is there. Abhideya. Accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions, those endowed with discriminating wisdom, worship the Absolute in this form, primarily through sacrifice of the self in complete kirtan, involving the totality of one's being. So let's talk about being. This is really where it starts. Are we going to use our being to be a human being or are we not? Because there seems to be by some observable inference a difference between our being and the being of all the other beings that we are inhabiting this planet with. 
This is our experience. We have nothing more at this stage than our experience to begin with. Correct? So we come into being and we recognize, well, I'm living, I'm not alone here. Uh, there's people that look and, and are kind of like me and then there's all these other entities that are, that are different from me. And this is perceivable through my senses. I can, I can see this. But I see that there is some real distinction here between me and all the other animals that I'm residing with. And I notice that all the other animals here, they're all surviving too, like I'm surviving. But all of us are surviving on what? On each other. None of us can survive without destroying another. That is life here. It's kill or be killed. You have to consume some, some other thing to survive. Uh, so, jiva... One, one living entity is food for another living entity. But they're, they're over and above that, the fact that we're all here and we all have these bodies, we can observe that we have some additional facility over and above this basic necessity some little additional facility. We have some intelligence where we can see, well, we can discriminate between what we want to eat and what we don't want to eat and the way in which we eat it. But none of us will live hardly, hardly any time at all unless there is eating involved and eating involves taking someone else. We can discriminate. We don't have to be violent in our, in our consumption. But I notice all the other animals, they're, they're impelled. They don't have the discrimination. They do not have that ability to discriminate about against what they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat. They're, they're impelled by nature, it seems. And, uh, you know, certain of them eat only grass in the field and certain of them eat only other prey. Certain of them fly in the sky and live in the ocean. And in the ocean, the bigger ones eat the smaller ones, and the smaller ones eat the little, even smaller ones. Till you get to the smallest ones, and they eat the plants. But there's all this, all this consumption going on. So what's what's worth? We see this distinction, and we understand that we have that additional, a, a little different intellect in that our lives are not fully consumed just by these instincts to survive. And with this little bit of extra intelligence, some questions may come up. Well, how did I get here? Where did I come from? What's my purpose? What is the nature of my being? What is it? 
This is the distinguishing factor between human life and animal life. And we, we, we look at life when we look at being and we think, why am I here? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Do I have a purpose? And why is it in spite of my very best efforts, I'm never quite satisfied in my being here? It doesn't matter how much I try, I'm not fully nourished in this environment. I'm fed, I can keep the body alive, I can keep busy, I can engage in so many activities, but but unless I begin this inquiry into my the nature of my being, into my true self, and I head down that road of conscious inquiry, and I get some tangible result, I'm not satisfied in life. Now, you can meet materialists and they'll say, yeah, you're just crazier than a bat, you know. I mean, I'm happy, and you know. But really, when we really cast off all the BS, they're not, and we're not. So that's where Tattva Sundarva begins. Ontology. What is the nature of ourself? And if we're going to know ourself, upon what basis should that knowledge be? Where should, where, where should we go to acquire that knowledge? What is the nature of knowledge? Where does it come from? How does it come? And, well, to begin with, we know that our primary source of knowledge is what? We see, we taste, we spell everything that we experience in this world. It's coming in, and we're processing it, and we're, we're giving it different degrees of importance. But your degree of importance for what you smelled and what I smelled is may be entirely different. Your degree of warmth or cold or your degree of pleasure, your your type of the type of all the all the sensory input that we have, not everyone's processing it the same. Why is that? What is the nature of this knowledge that isn't consistent throughout all experiencers? It seems to be very particularized. And you and I can walk away from the same experience with an entirely different viewpoint. And, and basically the experience itself. One person, two people can go to, a, to, a, to an opera and one person will walk away and say, what, 
What was that all about, that screeching high? Oh, I couldn't even listen to it. What was that lady just, you know, singing her heart out to, to what? The guy's dying. I don't get it. And the other person's there is like, oh, oh my, you didn't understand. She was in love and he died and, and she was singing her heart out. It was broken. That was what it was all about. Entirely different. Same experience. Or was it the same experience? So it seems that there's some something else going on here since your experience and my experience of the same event is not the same. Yours is black and mine is blue. Yours is white. I mean, it's, it, there's a difference in what we perceive. And you can't say it's just that, well, you didn't understand it because you weren't wearing your glasses. You know, that's just part of it. There's the seeing, there's the smelling, there's the hearing, there's the, the whole thing, and then there, there's the process of that whole conglomerate, conglomerate of, of, of sensual input and the whole overall experience is, is entirely different. Epistemology is what are we going to base our knowing on? That is where Tattva Sandarbha begins. What are we going to base our knowledge on? Because it doesn't seem that in this environment, knowledge is consistently reliable across everyone that's coming in through the senses. It's not the same. People are seeing things differently, even though they have eyes, ears, nose, taste, smell, touch. It's all there, and it's all coming in, and it's being churned with a mind, an intellect, and the result is not consistent. So when we come to knowledge, how are we going to find a consistent knowledge? Where you and I agree, that's knowledge. There has to be a standard of consistency in knowledge if it's based on being and being is fact. If we're factually here, if we factually exist, if there are certain givens in existence, then how are we going to get to that essence of existence, of being, in a factual way? That's where Tattva Sandarva begins. How are we going to get there from here? Because from here, <laughs> it's a traffic jam and everybody's driving in a different direction. And once in a while they bang into each other, individually, societally, they have wars, they have debates, they have elections, they crash into each other with all their conflicting ideals of what is knowledge 
what is knowable and what is of significance. All, all full of conflict. So, let's start. Tatvas and Darba. Jiva says, well, let's figure this out. Because I want to know what is the nature of my being. And we've got to start somewhere. So we have to start with a way of acquiring knowledge which is consistently reliable across humanity at large. We need to find a medium whereby we can agree on what is the nature of being. In order to arrive at that medium, we have to have a methodology that is consistently reliable. Now it's agreed that not everyone's going to accept the same system. But Jiva, who is a tremendous logician, is going to try to convince us that there is an extremely reliable source of knowledge which is utterly consistent, totally acceptable, and based on revelation which far exceeds which is, one, consistent upon those that have had it. It's the same. And it's much superior. It's a much superior way to see what is the underlying nature and truth of our existence than the conflicting nature of, 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 of empiric sensual observation. So this Thomas and Darba is, we could think this is way, way above my head. Because as we go through it, as we begin to unpack what he's going to be presenting, we're going to go, how can he think these thoughts? just amazing. And we'll notice as we go through this that the presentation is, is if it's, it even pushes the boundaries of the English language because these, the terminology of knowledge and the terminology of being and the tar terminology of what's presented in Sanskrit in the scripture is difficult, specifically difficult to put into a language that doesn't have the nuance that Sanskrit does. But we're going to start here, and I just want to go through a few definitions, and I'm going to follow the recommendation of uh, that's given in, in uh, Sachin Ryan's version of the Tatvasandarbha, and where he begins there, as he said, before one takes up a study of this book, one needs to understand 
some basic terms and concepts because as we go through our study these terms and concepts are going to come up repeatedly so if we don't have the right con con conceptual orientation as to what these terms mean then we're going to have a hard time assimilating the subject of Tattvasandarbha so this section is called the language of transcendence key terms and concepts so we'll begin with, and we're just going to walk through these I think most of us have a pretty firm grasp of what these things mean when we hear them uh, we're going to make sure that our grasp is correct then we're going to go on into the presentation itself so achincha inconceivable to what when you say inconceivable inconceivable to our mind and senses okay okay he gives a little bit deeper than that achinta inconceivable in that we can't we can't reconcile it with our experience i think is what you're saying is that right what he says it's transrational trans when he says trans rational he's meaning what beyond. beyond our rational comprehension of the way a thing could or should be it's beyond our beyond our beyond our rational thinking inconceivable as you said inconceivable to the way we think but it's inconceivable in a specific way it's beyond, as we're speaking, our what? Empiric, sensual way of looking at an item. Beyond conventional logic, he says, and reason. But, and this is a very big but, but we can comprehend it within our thought processes. If so, it would be unimaginable but it is imaginable we can see a correlation between what we experience and what's trying to be conveyed through what we see in the scriptures presented as a chinta so we have a way of grasping it in in that we can make a comparison, but we understand it's beyond what we may have direct experience of. Let's have a for instance. When the, when the scripture says samadhi, what do we know? We can relate to samadhi means entering into a realm of experience which is beyond my senses but is a real what but is real like what i have in my sensual experience it's not something that's just a hallucination it's not a dream it's it's samadhi it's something where i'm experiencing the nature of my being without what i think and have always thought was my being my eyes, my ears, my nose, my, 
I, there's a certain way. I look in the mirror and I said, there I am. I be. I be an old man or a young girl or I be black or white or I be, a, you know, the president or I be, a, you know, a caddy on the golf course. I have a conception of what I am and samadhi allows me to experience a real and deeper sense of my being. So I can wrap my mind around the concept of samadhi. Although what? It's a chinta. It's beyond my direct experience, but somehow or other I can wrap my head around it. Could part of it be that it's something that I could possibly experience at another time, but I'm not able to at this time? Well, it, of course, you can have that aspect to it. It's inconceivable, but I can conceive that I could possibly understand it or experience it in a future time. Um, it seems like it's not inconceivable, but it's imperceptible. Because you just said we can conceive it. We can think of it. It's right. It's it. It can come within my reasoning power. Yes, but we can't perceive it through our normal, <laughs> rational, right. empiric, sensual method of acquiring and processing knowledge. Transrational. It's a little bit beyond what I can, but I can, I can, the, the, the scriptures, the, the transcendental sounds are so potent that it can give me a perception. Subdebrahman. I can have faith that it's real and that other people have experienced it. Well, faith is another thing. But it is, it touches, it borders on faith because, yes, without faith in the source of that achinta, without that faith, you, you're going to have a hard time, a hard time processing it. Processing it. Yeah, that's the nature of, 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 of spiritual inquiry, is there has to be some faith. Well, there'll be no, there's be no reasoning. There'll be no acceptance of, of anything beyond what we can experience with our senses. The way that Sridhar Swami puts it is beyond the range of conventional or linear logic. Beyond what we, a normal process of, of perception or thinking, it's beyond that. We have a certain way through our knowledge gathering senses and the way we process that information of thinking this is this this is the rational thing here. What I'm seeing is real. That's a mountain. That's that's an ocean. Then we go to the desert and we see water and we say, What is the water doing in the desert? So, then we have to rationally see beyond that and see 
well, that's an illusion. My mind is is projecting water where there is no water. And we notice that, that there's all kinds of optical illusions. I was on my on a uh, computer and I, they were showing uh, pictures of two celebrities and you were to look at an X in between the two pictures and they would switch the pictures. Now when you were looking at the pictures without looking at the X in between with your eye, not focusing on it, you could just see, well, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so and they looked exactly normal. So then you concentrate on that little X right in the middle and all of a sudden they start to look like abstract caricatures. They're no longer in a human form. The mind has merged them into some, you know, it's an optical illusion. Blew me away. But you, you do that all the time. That, uh, you know. Um, so, Achinta, inconceivable. Inconceivable. Achinta, beta, beta, tattva. Beta, beta. So, transrational. It's something that we can conceive of even though we we have no no logical framework, no experiential uh, uh, presentation uh, that uh, makes it a, makes it uh, makes it that we should perceive it. Okay, Brahman. So he says Brahman is unqualified absolute. Unqualified absolute. So it is supreme without any qualities. Unqualified. You can't stick it into any container. So when we look to to an understanding of the absolute, the complete, the total reality, uh, and Jiva will go over this pretty extensively, we come to this understanding of Brahmati, Paramatmati, Sabjate, Bhagavaniki, Sabjate, that, that the unqualified absolute is, is available perceptually and understood by seekers of the truth through these lenses as completely unqualified and it never has any qualities never has any shaktis. Brahmati, Paramatmati, then it has qualities and the qualities are similar to my qualities. Except it's complete and I'm a particle. 
but the same quality is there. And then the concept of Bhagavan. That non-dual absolute that is full of all qualities and has inconceivable shaktis which are unimaginable from my perspective without some knowledge coming in from another source beyond a source which is what? A chinta. It's truly a source we we can't it's not it doesn't make sense but when I hear about Krishna's qualities I can relate to the Supreme as having those qualities of having that nature of being that way it's a unique situation if you really think of it. It's just like the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. We we have a certain con- conception. We may, may not yet have an intellectual conception of how we're going to relate with Krishna. It may not yet. We have we've been presented with opportunities, have we not? Oh, the gopis, they're the topmost. Well, actually, the gopis, the majorities of the gopis, they're so selfless. Their love is, is, is even deeper. And, you know, and then there's the, the Krishna's friends. And Krishna's friends that are serving the majorities, well, that sounds pretty interesting. So you, you, you hear these things, and, and, and you have. But there's one thing that all Gaudiya Vaishnavas are content on. They're fixed on. Vaikuntha is not a place for me. I have no interest in that. I want to enter into Vraj Bhakti. I may not know yet, I may not even have a firm ideal in that environment of Vraj Bhakti how I'm going to relate or how I want to relate to Krishna. Maybe that hasn't maybe that's not not fully firm. But Braj Bhakti, just by hearing just by hearing, we know Vaikuntha is not the place for me. I'm not really... this. The way I've seen and heard the Bhagavatam from my, from my guru and from my Purva Acharyas in this line of disciplic succession, I don't want to really be in that environment. It's a nice place and I worship it and I worship all the residents there and they're great lovers of Krishna but really I want to be in the woods. If I'm going to be with God I want to be in nature and the closer to nature I can be the closer I'll feel with God and I'm not really going to feel that close in a palace. It will be nice and there'll be all these nice you know they'll be serving him and he'll be happy and Lakshmi will be there but I like that other ideal. That I know. Where did that come from? There's no one here in this assembly that's thinking any other way. I want to be with Vishnu. Anybody thinking that way? After a lifetime of hearing? Or lifetimes of hearing? It doesn't, it doesn't even it's we, we we worship it, we respect it, we respect all those people that love it, 
but it's just not a flavor I'm interested in. How unique is that? That is what? How did that happen? That we can have this concept just through association with the devotee. Where else did it come? I wasn't born wanting to make my life's goal living in Braj. No. I didn't I wasn't born into that society. It all came from association. All of it. And someday, some lifetime, way, way off at a different galaxy, <laughs> I'll come to an understanding of, and this is how I, I want to play in that playground. Or maybe I'll be blessed sooner or later. It doesn't matter. What's, what is the difference? I don't care. Liberation is so easy and you can hear where you can just, you know, Ajameel was liberated and, and entered into Vaikuntha and, you know, all he did was chant Nama, you know, Nama Bas, just a shadow reflection of the holy name and it was enough. Although he was a sinner. But I'd rather spend hundreds of lifetimes to go to that playground in the woods. Wow, how what a concept. What a concept to have, to carry, to have that in your heart. Even if it's fuzzy, it's like a TV, you can't quite get it focused, and it's like, yeah, yeah okay, let me hear the pastime again, okay. Okay, let me look at the deities, yeah, okay, they kind of look like that's God, yeah, that's Rana, okay. Uh, focus it, chanting, yeah, I hear, I don't hear, I hear, I don't hear. But I have this concept. I've heard enough to know what. Ah, Braj Bhakti is for me, and nothing else is going to do it. What a, what a, this is, well, Golokar Premadan Harinam Sankirtan. This is what Lord Chaitanya came to give. This is not just handed out. That even. The lowest maleches and yavadas can immediately grasp onto this concept, so much so that it's going to carry them to that destination sooner or later. And they don't care how loose, they don't really care sooner or later. What kind of concept is that? Nadinam Najanam Nasundarim. I don't care. Going up, going down, you know. Achinta, these concepts, Brahman unqualified, non-dual, no duality in Brahman. How about another one, Paramatma? So, what, what's the difference? We have Brahman, which is unqualified. It's, it's spiritual substance without anything different between anything. It's like well, we really don't even like it very much because there's no variety in it. Then we come to Paramatma. The supreme indwelling self or simply the supreme self. 
So now we come to another concept, a term, a terminology, which takes us deeper into understanding the absolute, understanding of spiritual. But now we have we have features. We're we're conceiving of of that non-dual Brahman as having a characteristic which is similar to the characteristics of consciousness that we have. Understanding that there is there's existing, there's knowing, and there's enjoying. Satchitananda. So that's there. And when we come to the conscious level, I can relate with the absolute in that we have the those similarities. And the Paramatma conception is the conception of the similarities are such that one is infinitesimal and one is infinite. One can be conditioned, but one can be liberated to the point of the same condition as the Absolute. So we will continue next class and continue to walk through these terms and concepts before we enter into, just so we understand when they come up, what do we mean? What, what's, what's the author mean here? Then we'll go into the Mangala Charna. We'll understand what is actually a Sandarbha. What is it? It's, what is its nature? It's bringing out the essence of a, of a, uh, you know, a major presentation, major literature, uh, by taking the essential points of that literature and analyzing them. And, will soon make it to what is to be understood as a common basis for knowledge that can be arrived at and used so that we can all make it to that same spiritual goal. Have a common ground of understanding that, just as I said, we have an understanding now that's coming from Subda Brahman. From, from transcendental sound vibration. And that's influenced us in a way where we have fixed a goal in spiritual life, a common, a common goal based on that, that, that source of knowledge. How does the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition arrive at the topmost evidence when it comes to making informed decisions and understandings in relationship to spiritual life. And this whole Satsandarbha, the whole treatise of Satsandarbha is to bring us to the point where everything is seen in relationship to one literature, Srimad Bhagavatam. The cream and the essence of all spiritual sound vibration. I'll stop there. Any questions? Thank you very much. Thank you. Hare Krishna.